Hello and welcome to the Word on the Hill with Lanky Guy. My name is Father Peter Musset. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. You always dislike it when I don't say doctor. I so there, that, that was just for you. The doctor? Doctor. The pretension of doctor. Doctor. <laughs> doctor. Like, yeah. Is I, that Spies uh, Like Us? It is. That's and a, Father Brady Wagner sent me a clip from that, the, the <laughs> like moments after I defended my doctoral <laughs> dissertation. I was like, that's good friend. That's that's exactly what should be done. Yeah. If if you don't have a friend who sends you the clip from Spies Like Us when you get your doctorate. So, Speaking of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That is, we're ending entering into the body and blood of Christ, the, the feast solemnity. Of, the feast of Corpus Christi, the solemnity. Is there a difference between a feast and a solemnity? Yes. Can you tell me what it is? Okay, you have a feral day. That's the That's the basic one. So it's what does that mean? Forest-like? I don't know. <laughs> feral. Feral day, not feral. Feral is like somebody from- I know the, what feral is. That's I why know, I didn't know what you were talking yeah, about. I think you actually, like, like if you describe somebody- Did you somebody, see how I bit my tongue just there? Did yeah. you see how I restrained myself? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually so profoundly impressed with Thanks. you. So, um, so you have a feral day, and then you have no, you don't. A f- a f- a, what is an <laughs> optional memorial? Not and then feral. You have, What's the real word? Ferial. Ferial. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have an optional memorial, which is a little bit more. Okay. Then a memorial, obligational memorial. Ah, that's one where you have to go you, to mass. You, no, you have to celebrate the feast. You oh, don't okay. have to go to it. Oh, so it's not a holy day of obligation. No. It's a then you have a feast day, which is really important. You still don't have to go. And every su- well, every Sunday is a feast. Oh, but you can have saints' feast days. Like a particular saint has a feast day. It doesn't, it's not a holy day of obligation. Right. Okay. So, okay. so like St. John Vianney would be um, okay. an, a, a, an obligatory memorial. You have to celebrate St. John Vianney. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, but then you have like um, uh, the f- uh, feast of Peter and Paul. So that's a yeah. feast day, okay. but you still don't have to go. Okay. You no, should. You should go. In case you want to know. Then you have a solemnity. Okay. Which would be um, like the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, right, right. And every Sunday is a solemnity. Every Sunday is a solemnity. Okay. So that's why they're holy days of obligation. Got it, because got it. a solemnity is obligatory. Is there anything higher than a solemnity? So then you have a Sunday, which is a high solemnity, like the oh, body and blood of Christ. So, a high solemnity. So, so this isn't just a Sunday. It's a Sunday that also is a solemnity celebrating something else too right so but, it's a combined yes yeah, so, so like christmas, so it's like if your birthday falls on christmas yeah so then you still have more important birthday come on i'm trying to don't don't derail me no i thought that I, that wasn't a joke that's a, a real thing yeah okay like it's a double it's a compound it like christmas is a big deal your birthday is a big deal it happens to be the same day <laughs> but that's not a joke dude i'm gonna uh, i thought it was a good analogy so um, so then you have high solemnities. Okay. So then which are just kind of like elevated, super special Sundays, like okay. the solemnity of the body and blood of like Jesus Christ. what we have today. Okay. Yeah, but it, technically you could have observed it. Now, there are movable, 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 movable solemnities, <laughs> which okay. are okay. Um, so, like something the, like a, a feast of the ascension, ascension, which we just had. Yeah, which yeah, would yeah. be, but but typically we would call it a movable feast, but it's a movable yeah. solemnity. So, do you think some people use the term feast and solemnity interchangeably, Absolutely. even though they're not technically the same? Absolutely. Okay, because that's what it was. The, actually, the ascension that threw me off because it's right. called a movable feast. Right. And it is still a feast, but it's a feast that is so big of a feast it's called a solemnity. Right, yeah? exactly. Am I, am I on the right page? Exactly. Thank you for this little uh, liturgical catechesis for yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love this this stuff because that, that's where my specialty does not lie. So I'm so fascinated with the way the church has assembled this way of life. So so the common parlance for any of those we would call a feast day. So Okay, so they're all feasts. They're all but feasts. But there's different, different levels of feast. There's different cool. levels of solemnity by which you celebrate those feasts. Oh, okay. So fair enough. I got so, so solemnity really is actually about the celebratory manner. So you have a which is solemn ironic, high feast, which etymologically is ironic because the term solemnity comes from solemn. <laughs> I know, and I don't know what to do with that. But dude, I, and that's a conversation and, for another day. I suppose. Thus, we have arrived <laughs> at the lanky guys. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Okay. It's not the right thing, but I was going to say that thus we have arrived at the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ, which is, 
in some sense a reflection on something that is quite solemn. I mean, Jesus, we have the the, right. the body and blood of Christ because Jesus poured it out in sacrifice, right. which is something that then we celebrate this tragic thing that God used for the greatest good in human history. So maybe therein lies the the paradox, right? Or the irony. I don't know if it's ironic. I don't think don't it's think? ironic. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Uh, Father Brady is loving that right there. He's not listening. <laughs> I hope he is. So our oh, first the, reading okay. is from El, the second law, Deuteronomy. Nope. Deuteronomy? Nope. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 to 3, and then jumping all the way to verse 14, B through 16A. <laughs> all right. And then our psalm is... No, it's pronounced psalm. Pasolum. Our Pasolum today is um, 147, Mm -hmm. 12 to 15, Uh uh, jumping to 19 and to 20. So, which is 12, 13, 14, 15, 19, 20. And the response itself is coming from 12. I have some interesting things to say about the Psalm today, which is not always the case, but today it is. I'm excited. I am. You know what I was thinking is like the whole purpose of the Psalms is to get lines stuck in our head. That's absolutely true. Literally. I don't have anything to add. I mean, that, that's, I thought you were get, you you had your joke set up voice. But that's absolutely true. It's to make us more apt to memorize. Right. Things, which is beautiful. Yeah. So then. So our second reading. <laughs> Can I say, I don't know if it's an anomaly. I think the things that I have most and I'm most excited to talk about are the psalm and the second reading, which is not usually the case. Weird. Right? The inside of the chiasm. Uh, our second reading is excuse me, I have the hiccups, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 through 17. And then, and then we have a really long sequence. I, don't, I really did not mean to yawn directly it when you said like a long sequence. insult to the sequence. sequence. <laughs> no, wow. So I've made a commitment to myself is that if, if we don't sing the sequence, I'm not going to recite it because I always feel so Is tool-ish. that an option? Can to, you not recite it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I it's, don't, it's just a, it's a liturgical bonus, dude. Okay. See, this is good. I I love learning more about liturgical things. Yeah, yeah. You, Thank it, you. Like, so I'm just like, if we so, sing so it, so sing it or great. skip it. <laughs> sing it is or skip. your is your motto <laughs> exactly. Then <laughs> our gospel is uh, John chapter six, verses fifty one to fifty eight. Man, the bread of life, discoursination. Discourse. What? Discourse. That was good. That was good uh, harmony we just had there. It really was, actually. I'm impressed with you. Deuteronomy. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there? Uh. Um, all right. Here's what I have to say about Deuteronomy. Um, these readings... Okay, so let's... Uh, how do, how do we I do was this? so affected by this reading that I... Um, li- literally, oh, I, okay. I read it and I, I just had to like hang out because it... Well, talk to me then. Um, I mean, it's just... It, there, there's one then, line... Then you start says, for Pete's sake. Okay. <laughs> Remember how for these 40 years, the Lord your God has directed all your journeying in the wilderness. So which as, we should know that if it's not already self-explanatory, which it probably is, that the context for Deuteronomy is right after the Exodus, they've been yeah. freed from slavery in Egypt. The golden calf, the sin of idolatry and the golden calf has already happened. And now they're giving kind of plan B. They're giving the second law, Deuteronomos, as a instruction on how to live when they finally do enter the promised land. So Deuteronomy, in a lot of ways, is not just a reflect. It's partially a reflection on looking back at where we've come from. But really what Deuteronomy is doing is it's instruction to a new generation of Israelites after the Exodus generation has now sort of died off of how you are to live once you enter the promised land, which you're about to go into. Right. Okay. Sorry. That's Now go. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail again. Okay. Um, which, uh, so he says, uh, remember how these 40 years, okay, your God has directed you all your journeying in the wilderness. Mm. So as to test you by affliction, mm. to know what was in your heart to co- keep his commandments or not. Wow. And I, I, I mean, now, I, I was struck by that too. I gotta I mean, be honest with you. I, I, we are in such a radical moment historically uh, and culturally, globally um, nationally and, and locally, yeah, yeah, globally, nationally, locally. Um, that's that, true. That sounds good. I like that. It's I like, good. The, I it's like true. the rhetorical device of that. Globally, nationally, locally. Right. Like, I, I really feel like this last time. I, I keep coming back to this question within my heart: What is my intention? Is my intention to follow the Lord no matter what? 
like like and 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 then i look around and i and and we have to make judgments and this we were having a conversation about this earlier like a long one a long (laughs) in fact we're we're podcasting three hours past what we normally podcast well yeah (laughs) <laughs> three hours. hours passed when we got together <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. so w- what happens is that I-, I am having a deep question in my heart about uh, how do I, wh- what were we talking about earlier? seriously yeah yeah I, I <laughs> a t- lot I, of things i know well, I, well I, i'll I, tell I like, you my takeaway I, like, I, I actually lo- i totally derailed because i started thinking about how long it's taken us well, and, and the, the sheer extent of our conversation well frankly I, we were talking about race and we right. were talking about problems in our country and and we were talking about at least what i took away is what a difficult time we have as a culture and myself included i'll totally take responsibility with understanding nuance within real moral ethical issues of the day. Right. That they're never just black and white. They're never just this is evil, this is good. These are the guys on the right side, these are the guys on the bad side. That there's, I, I, I've been reflecting, we didn't talk about this, but I've ref, been reflecting a lot about the Jesus' parable about the wheat and the chaff. Right. Or the wheat and the weeds, perhaps, right? And how I always, you know, for a long time took Jesus saying, I'm going to I'm gonna let the weeds grow up alongside of the wheat, and then I'll separate them all on the last day. And I always kind of took that as, well, there's the good guys and there's the bad guys, rather than seeing, no, that's really a parable, I think, about my own heart. There's good and there's bad inside of me. Right. And I make bad decisions and I make good decisions and I try to be well-intentioned and I come out on the wrong side. And there, there's... Um, and there's, I, I've, we've been seeing so much vitriol and, and vileness on social media in particular and saying, well, these guys are evil because of this and these guys are really good and virtue signaling and vice signaling and all sorts of things of, of situations that are very complicated and that there's real moral gravity. Right. And, and what too. happens is that we, we are meant to make judgments about yes, those to. things. It's, it's how we live. But we're not meant to get caught into judgmentalism. And yes, which which is which this is, is something the, I don't think most Christians understand. Which is which is the project of in um, logic we would call an ad hominem attack. Yes, which is when you attack a person right. rather than the ideas that are taking place. Right, and you can choose your own adventure when you come to an ad hominem attack, versus to deal with the ideas that actually guide and. It's lazy. um, Dictate the course of culture. Yes. It's lazy to do ad hominem attacks. Absolutely lazy. I can just insult you and not have to deal with all the nuance of what the reality of your argument is. Right. And the reality of the uh, the judgment of the moral situation that I see. Yes. And and that's actually where like I look and I say, okay, forty years in the desert. We've Mm -hmm. done forty. We've done double. We've done a good eighty days. In oh, we've yeah, done a right. good eighty in very, days, real in a real way, yeah. in a real way, global culture yeah. of of saying what is our intention to do, um, and and that's and I, actually very convicting in the heart. When I would argue, and this came up from a Bible study that I lead with some of our staff yesterday, there is a big difference. I think, and I see this in my own heart. There's a big difference in the intention that I had at the very beginning of all this. And maybe the intention that I'm seeing coming out now, 80 days in, it's mm. one thing to be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to use this. T-. You know, we started in Lent, right? Right. This whole pandemic kind of broke out. It was Lent. And a lot of us were like, oh, awesome. It's Lent. We're going to kind of fast. It's going to be this period of, of spiritual desert. And it's going to be awesome. And it's really easy to get sick of that after a while. And it, and, and the, the mark of true holiness and courage is how we're able to be faithful to something when it's not convenient anymore, when it's not... Um, attractive anymore when it's not you know something that's that's really popular to do anymore when it's difficult when it doesn't feel like oh yeah we're in Lent this is going to be really fun to kind of fast how good are you at fasting when you're actually really hungry how good are you at standing up for injustice when it's not popular to do anymore and in vogue how po- how how easy is it to wander in the wilderness being led by God when you're 39 years in. And you're like, I'm tired of being led through the desert now. I don't want the desert anymore. All right. right. I do not want to keep eating banana bread. I'm sick of manana, of manna, which is <laughs> exactly. my mom keeps making. Me. Exactly. And that's why it says, uh, therefore, I let you be afflicted. With hunger. 
Yeah, and then mm. I fed you with food unknown to you and your ancestors, so that you might know that know that it, so that you might know that it is not by bread alone that people live. Which is precisely what Jesus says to the evil one in the temptation in the desert. In right. Matthew. By the way, side note. Which is which is so interesting. I, I I keep I keep coming back, and this is part of the reason why I I am so convicted is that I struggled with a lot of sin when I was in high school, and I was really well educated about the Eucharist from my father. And which is you, amazing. Which you don't receive the Eucharist when you're in mortal sin. If you have made... A, you're not supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to receive the Eucharist when you're in mortal sin. Yeah. And so there was a profound hunger that was developed in my heart. I always made sure my parents were in front of me, or I went to Mass alone so that I could cross my arms over my chest and receive a blessing. Yeah. And I did this for so many years, and then I did it into college. And um, <laughs> that, that, that it was like... In my heart, the hunger for the, what are you laughing I'm about? laughing at, I've been in the situation, seeing the priest when you like go up and you're trying to subtly cross your arms to not receive and the priest is like, would you like a blessing instead? <laughs> <laughs> just, just be cool, man. Yeah, just be cool, Sorry, I'm just, it made me laugh <laughs> like, because I've been in that boat. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually why when I bless people, I, I even reach my arm out a little bit to touch their arms that are crossed so it looks like I gave them the Eucharist. Wow. So that's that, actually kind of beautiful. Yeah. So that so that it's because the 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 if you're mm. courageous enough to receive a blessing in that moment, like you don't want to have shame um, uh, prevent you from right. Because because in a and certain receiving God's grace in right, a real way. Right. And like I actually think it's a mm. reverential expression towards yeah. the Eucharist to not receive in those moments and like hugely reverential because it's acknowledging mm. what the Eucharist is. It, right. it is a different kind of the Amen when the priest says this is this is the body of Jesus and we say Amen which means I believe right. it is another form of saying I really believe in what this is and I believe it so much that I'm going to reverence it in this way right and that's why like I beam I'm so thankful do you know how much love is poured out in my heart for somebody who's willing and courageous enough to just humble themselves and to say you know what I either ate before mass or mm -hmm. I am not able to or I've sinned in some way yeah. like I'm just so profoundly moved by that and or so, even that I'm not a Catholic and I don't fully understand what's right. being done here but I'm going to reverence it in such a way to say I, I, I'm not sure what, what what's happening here right fully. there's and, a reverence to that right my own personal experience of it though was that my heart was so hungry mm. for the life that came from the Eucharist that I was famished and I was in a desert of my own sin. Mm. And, uh, and that's why when, I, when he says it is not by bread alone that man lives, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God, that like, that like, I, I, like this is the word made flesh in mm. front of me and to be able to like open my heart. So I, it was just like, I was so caught up in all the memory. And then, I, and then I, that's actually how I've been looking at there's, there's so many people who are not able to receive the Eucharist in any sort of way right now. Right. Either it's the message th for quarantine. Right. Some ways, yeah. for, for, for either for health, for, for health because they can't encounter crowds because of yeah. immune suppression stuff yeah. or for, um, the, the unavailability Absolutely. in a particular diocese or mm. like there's all sorts of reasons or, or just scheduling issues right. like it right. uh, for real it's just all of these things and so like I keep coming back to that and going like at, at the same moment that the 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 the, 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 the sadness in the heart of not being able to receive also develops the the hunger I saw so many people weep in the weeks after when we started being able to actually have public masses, mm. every mass somebody would break down and you could hear them and they would cry and they would wail. And it was so beautiful to my heart because it was like this, this like longing for communion with our God that then was fulfilled. And, and how much weeping will there be in the end of days when we are, when we have finally encountered Jesus in his second coming and we realize how, how much longing has been developed in us in this wilderness of, of the world and the sojourn and, and, and that we're going through that when we finally have the beatific reality, how much crying that we in fulfillment of that will be, um, will take place. I don't know. That's why I was like, that's why I was like, I had a hard time studying because I was so caught up in the, in the experience of, 
is my intention to follow after the Lord or not? Because sometimes it isn't. Sometimes my, my intention isn't to follow the Lord. Sometimes it's my intention is to to shop on Amazon and, <laughs> and to, to satisfy, you know, with, with some like, you know, kitchen knives or something. You know, like it's these things to where yeah, like. What a lame example. I know. But no, I'm just, it's not. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Thank, thanks for. No, but I'm it sorry. is a lame example. It's not. That's exactly why it is, is because it, it's like as if, as if a kitchen knife is going to satisfy my longing for the eternal it's not it's a pretty sweet knife don't get me wrong Glad you were able to cut through the <laughs> back, backdrop there so so that's where like i i just like deuteronomy and like well, and like how do we behave in the promised land and how do we experience the desert of our lives is just so it's so important for us right now to go through well the two things i also just want to add to that before we move on is that that line that you keep that that me. you mentioned, which is important. Uh, what does he say? He redirected. He 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 directed the journey in the desert to test you by affliction to find out whether or not it was your intention to keep his commandments. So he gave the commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai right before the golden calf. Actually, remember if you remember the story, it said that um, he before Moses received the stone tablets of the commandments. God started to speak all of the Ten Commandments to all of Israel in the second person singular. So like, remember, they heard the booming voice. They were like, you, Peter, shall not steal. And you, Jim, shall not, you know, bear false witness. Like, he was saying it, and they were like, holy cow, this fr- this is too much. Holy cow. Sorry. The, the pun. <laughs> but, yeah, they were like, this is too much. They were like, Moses, you go speak to God for us. You be our intermediary. So they had already had a sense of the Ten Commandments before Moses went up and got the tablets. Then he got them. They fell to idolatry because they were freaked out. But when he says, to, I wanted to find out whether it was your intention to keep these commandments, he knows the answer to that. Not only because he's God, but because that generation showed him, no, we will not. We will not serve. We will not keep the commandments. And we're going to take this moment of affliction and difficulty and we will show you, God, that we will not serve you. Right. We will not. And so God says, fine, you don't have to go into the promised land. You don't have to receive the blessings that I'm giving you. I'm not going to you know, strike you with lightning because I'm so ticked off, but I'm not going to give you something that you don't want to take. So now what he's saying is, okay, there's a new generation. There's another chance because God never stops giving more chances. I guess at the moment of, of our death, we can't choose anymore. But he says, all right, it, now it's another generation's turn. And what is going to be your end? You saw what happened to your parents. You know history. You've seen the sins of your fathers. You've seen the sins of your parents, which I think there's a lot that we could speak to our culture about our misunderstandings of history. You know the sins that your parents have done. Now God says in Deuteronomy, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow me or are you not? You've seen the hunger. You've felt the hunger. You know this situation. You know that it's more than just the manna. And the manna, what's also being described here, this is the second thing. Deuteronomy is saying, essentially, the manna was awesome. The manna was really cool. It was a miracle. But the, even the word itself, manna, means what is it? And people looked at it and they, they saw this like frosty, you know. Frosted flakes. Frosted flakes coming from heaven. And they were like, oh, manna, which means, oh, what is that? What is it? And they were like, all right, I guess we're going to eat it. And then they eat it. But but it's suggesting it's so weird and so not ultimately completely fulfilling that it's pointing to something greater than itself. The manna was not the end. It's saying you shall not live by bread alone. This right. manna is sort of an example of that. It's going to sustain you, but it's not the end of what I want to do. I want to do so, something so much greater than this, Right. which is where the psalm comes in, I think. And the reason I think the psalm actually applies here is that so so in the Septuagint so in the in the ancient Greek translation of Psalm 147 Psalm 147 is split into two parts right and you have the first part which is I think chapters uh, verses 1 through 11 and then what we get here is the second part which is about the seed of Jerusalem which will become something greater in the earth and sort of um, this, this, well, it has a lot to do with the word of God and with bread. And so I want to read, I want to just go back to the context. I want to read what you won't hear in the recitation of it at mass. And it says, which verse, uh, I want to read, 
You probably don't know the verse. Oh, I know it, man. Are you kidding me? I know. <laughs> I know all of it. All right. So this is uh, just starting in chapter 12. I'm just going to read through because we, we skip some lines. Even though these verses are consistent, we skip a couple sentences just because that's the nature of how the repetition goes. Okay. But it says, uh, extol, glorify the Lord, O Jerusalem. So this is speaking to Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your people within you. So this is a psalm. Speaking to Jerusalem, the the city of God, Zion, about what they're supposed to be in the earth. The yep. seed of the kingdom of God that's supposed to be made manifest universally, right? Uh, he grants you peace at your borders. He satisfies you with the finest wheat. So now we have the first instance of bread coming in, right? He sends his command. This is verse 15. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. What is God's word like? It says he spreads the snow like wool, scatters the frost like ashes, which is, I, I think, very, I think if you're an ancient Jew, you see immediately the reference back to the manna falling, which looked mm. like frost. It looked like ash. It was this white mm. snowy thing coming down. And it said, God did that. It's like his word. He hurls his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand the icy blast? But then it connects and it says he sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. It talks about wheat and snow and water and weather patterns as an analogy for what God's word is. And a lot of ancients thought that this psalm is what lay behind Jesus's parable of the sower with the seed, right? The sower goes out to sow the seed of the kingdom of God, which doesn't look like the kingdom of God. It's just seeds. Just like the manna was like a seed of something to come. Just like the hail and the snow is the water that will allow something else to grow and build. Like Jerusalem is a seed of what will represent the greater kingdom of God, which is the church. Mm. So we look to the new Jerusalem, the old Jerusalem, which was the seed of what would become the church, which shows us that the word that God speaks is so real, so efficacious, that it grows into what? Bread that actually becomes sustenance for us. What comes, it's, it's at the risk of sounding esoteric and abstract, it's this idea that literally the word that comes out of God the Father's mouth will become bread that we put into our mouth. Not bread. It will become like bread, but food that we put into our mouths that will actually bear life in us. I think that it's very poetic. It's a little bit esoteric, but it's all packed into this psalm in this really profoundly beautiful way. When I read the inter intervening verses or the, you know, yeah, the yeah. The, well, you're just reading the full Psalm of Psalm 147. It's really power. I mean, yeah. Wh why didn't they include the, why didn't they include the manna and the bread and the word? I mean, like it sure seems like that's where the connection. lies. Yeah. You're like, let's just do the full Psalm. Like, why are you truncating this? My, my, my hoping for the best intention it suggests that maybe there's something beautiful about kind of making us work for it a little bit. And there's something about, I don't, I, I wish for a day in the church where Catholic families would read their Bibles in the context of these things before they go to mass to prepare themselves for what they're about to hear. Do you know what's so cool? No, I don't. I know some things that are cool, like we, ninjas. We help them do that. That's this was one of those podcasts that I'm like, man, I think this is where this podcast shines, where we can really elucidate some background to some stuff to make it make sense. Well, and, and so for those of us who pray the liturgy, the hours, mm. th there's some intonations that we hear in this that if you're paying attention, because the, the, like what I said at the beginning, the reason why we have a psalm is to convince us yeah. to, uh, or to, to give us lyrics that would get to caught memory, in our head. To get caught in our head, absolutely. Right, and like he scatters hoarfrost like ashes. Or frost like ashes. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the tune. <laughs> yeah, that's not the tune, bro. Thanks, man. Yeah, um, but but here's here's an exact moment of that you're working to be the change that you want to see in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> to, just to make it nice and cheesy for everybody. How, ja how jaded am I that I had to chuckle at that? There's I've been very convicted late, lately of my own. You said something real and true that sounded like a bumper sticker to me, and I'm cynical enough that I chuckled at it. But 
But it's good. It's been convicting me. Well, you want to know why? Is because we live in a hashtag culture that doesn't have nuance. And so what happens is that I have to laugh off a slogan or a soundbite or a hashtag so that I can actually get to the heart of what's being really said. And this is what's this is what's grinding in my soul is that is that that we don't actually take the wider contexts of these things that and and we are reductionary in what our expressions are rather than accepting what the whole is or or not being or being forced into accepting what the whole is and not being able to go into nuance i'm going to give you a a different take on hashtags all because i just now thought of it because we were complaining and berating hashtags right before the podcast and we're still doing it because but what if we thought now this is not how our society or our culture or social media thinks about it but what if we di- thought about it differently? Because we, we've talked about this on the podcast, the, the rabbinic technique. Jesus uses it on the cross, right? This rabbinic technique of quoting a phrase or a line or a brief passage from something as a way of evoking the rest of the narrative. Right. Father, yeah, um, um, Eloi, Eloi, lava samachtani, right? Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? Which is meant to evoke the rest of the narrative. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, right? All these things, this this psalm, if you're a Jew... But, but that's actually the whole recitation of a set of psalms and not just merely Psalm 22. Absolutely. But what if a hashtag was... What if we were the kind of a culture... Fine, we can still use hashtags, but they're meant to make us say, well, what does it mean? What's the background? What What's behind that? Right. What's being said? How can we unpack this? Because every culture has had the equivalent of a hashtag, the quick summary statement, the yoke that Jesus uses right. to summarize the whole of the Old Testament. The but mimetic, yeah. it requires the hard work of the listener to go back and say, what do you mean? What is the context? What's behind that? But the problem of our culture is not that we just use things like hashtags, it's that we leave them at that. And we don't take the time to dig in and say, what is behind this? Right. It's the laziness behind. It's the laziness, which I'm sure that happened. You know, and that's why you can go into a theological library and find a hundred different commentaries that will say Jesus saying Lama, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Samatani meant Jesus was giving up and falling into total dis- despair. Right. Because they're using it as a hashtag and not saying, wait a second, what is he quoting? What's behind it? What does he mean? Right. We've always been as lazy as we are now with hashtags. We're just doing it in a different way. We're just doing it in a, in a, in a, um, in the means of social communication that have been presented to us, which yeah. are global. and repeatable and searchable according to history. So in other words, it should be easier to go back and dig in and say, oh, what's behind that? Right. Well, but what's interesting is that that Christ's work in all of this is a both and. Yes. And when you actually have have a mean between an extreme, rather than saying if if an an extreme leads... a meme between an extreme. Oh my gosh! Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Meme. Oh, dude, I want a T-shirt that just says a me- meme between the extremes. That's what we're, that's what the title of the podcast will be this week. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but like, but like, uh, what what happens is that um, we um, the 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 extreme leads you into heresy. You yeah. say, okay, actually, Jesus isn't God because God forsook him, so he's really not that. So you right. have an extreme Absolutely. over there, and then another extreme is is that he's just doing some sort of cerebral expression. He's just really he's really not suffering he's just kind of having a literary experience on the cross right and and whereas in the center he's experiencing the humanity's absence of the father where meanwhile actually giving you an insight into the narrative experience of israel in an existential experience the catholic and the catholic the jesus and the jesus and and yes and that's that's why where where we're where we have this psalm Yes. Okay. What we're being pointed to is like the banana, the the, the banana bread. <laughs> I, I just to cheapen it Absolutely. up, but to, to to be asked the question, what is it? But what is? How is the God of all of weather and creation and bread and life and word and everything? How do we experience this and say, God? Glorify the Lord Jerusalem because this is so massive. The Lord of all things, the one who feeds you, who gives you all. And there's only so many ways you can make manicotti. <laughs> so, um, which takes us to First Corinthians. First Corinthians, which is the other one that I think requires some unpacking. 
To, right. you, could, you could look at it as, that's not a hashtag, but you could look at it at face value and be like, oh, it's talking about the body and blood of Jesus. Cool. Right. Let's, let's pull that one. Let's shove it in there to yeah. kind of fit the, But the context, man, is all about Ooh. Deuteronomy and Exodus. What? And that's what we don't get in this little snippet. So where Paul says, smack in the middle of 1 Corinthians 10, brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not as a participation in the, in the body of Christ? Because the loaf is one, although we are many, are one body, for we are partake of one loaf. What we miss there, even though it's like, oh, cool, that talks about the body and blood of Christ. Great. We'll shove that in as the second reading. It's He's actually asking a question. And basically what he's saying is, based on everything else I've just said, which we didn't read, is it not this cup of blessing that we experience every Sunday or every time we go to Mass, is it not really a participation, a participation really in the blood and the body of Jesus? But to know how to answer that, we have to know the, how, where the question came from. And so, the, and I'm, I'll be quick here. I don't, I don't believe that. But well, I we better, have to because the podcast is because <laughs> I've got a meeting it too. Yeah. Oh, okay. So all of First Corinthians chapter eight through ten is about. So First Corinthians is one of the most well organized books of the New Testament. It's wonderfully organized in that every section of chapters follows a particular theme. And if you don't know what those themes are, you're actually bound to get lost in them. So from chapters 8 through 10, Paul is exclusively talking about this weird question about food offered to idols. Do you remember this? Yeah. It's this question of there's there are some people in the Corinthian church, and the Corinthians are disa- they're a disaster. Well, we, just as, as, far to, as far as the context goes yeah. for this, um, what happens is that temple worship was, was, was restaurant life. So what happens is you brought your you brought your food and offered it to the idol and then you actually had a meal afterwards. It's a, it's the parish hall. It's the donuts after mass. Right. Every religion had some equivalent of donuts after mass, <laughs> although they didn't always look like that. Right. But the the fellowship component, right? It's and so fellowship and eating. Yeah, which which is right. I mean, that's, that's an objective good. And so there's this question in the Church of Corinth of people saying, well, okay, I got this meat I picked up in the market or my neighbor gave it to me or whatever it is. This meat had been previously offered to Apollos or to, you know, Zeus or whatever. So is it morally okay for me to eat this meat that was previously offered to a pagan god? And that's this question that's showing up. And people are, there There are apparently these quote-unquote well, mature, that's who they call themselves, mature Christians who really know what's up just because they're super well-educated and catechized who are like, well, look, follow the logic, right? We know if we're Christians, if we follow Jesus Christ, we know that there is only one true God. He is Yahweh and his son is Jesus Christ, the word in which he speaks. And if that's true, then we know that Zeus doesn't exist and that Apollos isn't real and Aphrodite is not a real God. None of these gods are real gods. And so if there's a piece of meat or some lamb or whatever that was sacrificed to Apollos, who was it actually sacrificed to? Nobody, because Apollos doesn't exist. He's not real. He's not a real God. There's only one true God. And so their conclusion is, if those gods don't exist, if they're not real, and there's only one true God, then what's the moral status of some meat that was offered to a God that doesn't exist? It's neutral. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's not, there's not a status one way or the other. It's just meat, right? And so there's a bunch of Christians who appear, appear to be saying, well, cool. Apparently. Apparently. We can go to the pagan temples and we can go worship and we or not worship, but we can go hang out. We can and go get fellowship right at, with these people offering this meat to Zeus and Apollos. We can keep our social connections. We can, and we can hang keep, out at Athena's. We and can hang cool. out at Athena's and everything's fine because we know better. We're smarter than these people because we know there's God. And even if they're too dumb to realize it, we know the truth. And Paul's saying, hold on a second. What about those Christians who are not as well catechized as you, who see you, a mature, devout Christian, going to Apollo, Zeus's temple and seeming like you're worshiping? Are you not leading people astray by your supposed freedom to do whatever you want to because you're so well catechized? And this is this whole long section on saying... That's great if you understand, you know, the, the catechesis behind this and you've read the canons and you know, you know, how to articulate these particular theological treatises. 
But are you actually considering the least of these? Are you considering your brothers and sisters who don't have that understanding? And their response seems to be, who cares? That's their problem. If they're not as well catechized as me, that's not my issue. If they haven't dug in and understood the rest of it. It's kind of the hashtag thing, right? right. If you haven't dug into the context of why what I'm doing is right, why should I care less about what your problem is? It's not my problem. I didn't do it. I didn't miscatechize you. Not my problem. And Paul is saying, it is your problem. And to the degree that Jesus Christ died for that person who you are misleading, it is absolutely your problem. And so this is the letter where Paul makes a vow. He says, I will never eat meat again. He's like, not because it's morally good or morally bad, but if there is any shred of a chance that someone might be misled by my using my supposed freedom here, I will never touch meat again. He says, I vow that to you, not because I'm not free to eat meat, but because I care so much about my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the context into which he comes to this passage. And he says, think about the Exodus. He's like, remember back in the Exodus, this is right before what we get. He said, remember back in the Exodus, he uses the word all repeatedly. All of our forefathers, they passed through the Red Sea. It was kind of a baptism. All of our forefathers and foremothers, they ate the manna, the, the bread that came down from heaven. They all drank of the supernatural water that came from the rock. They all experienced the providence and the power of God. And he says, most of them failed to enter the promised land. Actually, only two of them did. It was Joshua and Caleb. Because even though everybody else had experienced this and, and actually fed on the providence of God— most of them failed to actually, God knew the intention. What does it say in Deuteronomy, right? What was the intention to keep his command and love him? Most of them failed and could not enter the promised land. And he basically says, let that be a warning to you. All you people who are trying to straddle the fence and say, I'm going to go to mass. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to live out my personal holiness. And I couldn't care less about what's going on with the people around me. So yeah, I'm going to go to Aphrodite's temple because that's where all my business connections are. And that's where my friends and my family hang out. And that's where I'm comfortable. I don't care if somebody else might be tempted to lose their faith because of that. I can do what I want. And Paul says most of the generation of the Exodus, with the exception of two, did not ever get to see the promised land, even though they all partook of all this. That is literally the context in which he says, brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing that we bless, it's a participation in the actual blood of Christ. And the bread is the body of Christ because the loaf is one. We are a church. We are a body of Christ. And it actually matters what happens to the rest of us. It is, a, to, to in my mind, not to be preachy, but in my mind, to miss the rest of the context is to miss the point of why Paul says that. Absolutely. And I, I that's why I wanted to spend just a minute of saying why... It matters culturally, to be honest with you, and also how it directly ties into the first reading and the psalm. It is a direct response to those two things, and it assumes it on you. Yeah. Wow. That, there's a lot of there's a lot of movement in my heart, and and trying to figure out like, where am I personally responsible f for f forsaking? The, my obligation towards my brothers and sisters as a priest. Now, this is the thing is that I have a higher obligation than you as a layman. And I'm going to, I'm just going to say that. And I'm going to say to the brother priests who are listening, we, we have a higher obligation. And that's actually because we have committed ourselves to live in some way, the evangelical councils, um, poverty, chastity, obedience, mm -hmm. be precisely because th these are, these are, a manner by which we can glorify God as we are talking in the psalm. You know, to say like like glorify the Lord Jerusalem right. and show forth the glory of God. Don't get mired in um, the juggling about whether or not I can, you know, go to Athena's, whether or not it's it's a legitimate thing. Once you're playing that juggling act. Um, as a, as a lay person, I, I think that there's there's I think that there's still stuff that you you have to really have an intention. Am I gonna be in? Am I today decide for the Lord, life or death? Are you gonna be living with the Lord? Or are you gonna be living away from the Lord? Are you gonna be living for the world? Because we have to continually to make that decision day after day after day after day. Um, there's some of us who have a higher obligation because the things that we do express something. 
um, it, it has a poetry to it that people, whether or not they will be able to understand the full import or they read the hashtag, they're they're yeah. going to be reading what you're doing. And th- absolutely that, right. And that's where, like, what you're talking about. Are we not one? Are we going to take that seriously? Are we going to actually? Um, and, and this is actually. A, He's also built into that, saying, "Hey, if you're not taking that seriously, there's consequence for receiving the Eucharist in that state." Mm. He's like, don't forget the excess generations. It's not just about you. There's consequences here. Yeah, we all partake of this. And that's, that's where... That's where we have to be really, really careful right now as, mm-hmm. as a people and as a, as a Catholic church to not fall to... Um, the, the movements of this age in in any sort of zeitgeist, we are a people who can consider things more deeply um, than than other people because we have a longer history. This is our history. We've been in the desert as a people. Mm. This is a part of our um, epigenetics. Yeah. You know, like like this is in our actual memory as a people. Um, and, and so we say, okay, I'm not going to just be uh, caught in the polemics of the age, because this is actually the part that I'm so upset about, um, and, and that the Corinthians were upset with each other about. And right. Paul was honked and so angry because you have these people who say, I know better than you. Okay, whatever. They're saying both, I know better than you, and you're not my problem. Right. And and that's that's where we actually have to t- take... A, a deeper, longer um, breath that is not so caught up, and that's that's actually where where I'm scared that we're not doing it, and that we're, that we're we're unwilling to do it, and that we're actually getting caught up as a people, and that's and that's really it's really hard because I I keep absorbing a lot every conversation I have. I, I feel like I have to absorb the person's stuff in front of me, and I don't have. And it's it's very hard and far and few between the people where you feel like, you know what, I can actually just go f- for having a, a deeper conversation with more nuance mm. than just being caught in a polemic. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's frightening. And that's actually the part that I hated with the pandemic is that we got weaponized against one another. You could be a carrier of a virus that's going to kill me. I could be a carrier of a virus that's going to kill you. Okay, let's not interact. Now, all of a sudden, we have even more political situations to where we have to um, where we're not interacting with each other and in an honest and integrity and full of integrity, you know. You've given a weird segue into the gospel, okay? Which we're we got to kind of wrap this yeah, up, yeah, yeah, because we keep going, yeah. But and I, without trying to connect the dots in too explicit a way, because I don't know what's there. But you reminded me. Oh, I, see I what mean, you're what, what what's happening in the gospel? Jesus saying to the crowds. I am the bread that came down from heaven. We're smack in the middle of this long discourse where Jesus is saying, you have to eat my bread, my body and drink my blood if you want to have life. And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? Like literally? And he's like, yeah, he, he, he keeps three times clarifying. You need to chew on, eat my body or else you will not have life within you. And the response of many people, they're quarreling and they're like, how can you possibly say that? And they leave and they go, what did you just say? You, you said something that was basically a, a different framing of this. Jesus says something hard that requires nuance and a little bit of unpack. It, it is clear. It is what it is. Right. But, but they hear this line and they're like, that's too much. That's too hard. That's too crazy. That's insane. That requires too much of me to deal with that, with what you're telling me. That's, right. that's too hard. Even just to to process what you're saying, so I'm going to leave. And I guarantee you, this doesn't show up in the gospel, but I be, I mean, think about this. We know where the gospel goes. We know the rest of this narrative. How many people do you think went and started bad-mouthing to their friends and their family and their neighbors? Like, did you hear what that Jesus guy said? Can you believe he said this? Like, he said that? Like, can, hey, hey, Jim, did, did you hear what this Jesus guy said? And then you get the little well, social was, it, media. Well, it was also speculated that it was going to be the youth because it was actually the great white synagogue where you would actually were training the rabbis for the region. Absolutely right. So, so what's happening is that you're t- he's he's actually doing this to the most educated population of anybody mm-hmm. in in the in the law in the traditions, yeah. and so he he's risking himself for the highest educated people who he's hoping that could, they could actually gr- start to grasp the import and the nuance, even though it's so direct. Right. That um that that um and to ha- but but they're unwilling to dialogue. 
And, and the, the ones who stick around are the ones who are like, well, we know that you have the words of everlasting life, even though this is too much for us right now. And even though we really don't fully understand. Right. But we understand enough to know that there's something to what you're saying. Even if we don't get it, we know that there's something here that needs unpacking. Right. So what do they do? So we will stay with you. We and will be your disciples because we know we need to unpack this. We're still going to hang with you to right. be able to actually have this conversation. Which is what discipleship is, right? Right. And saying, I'm going to hang with you because I know there's truth here, even right. if I don't fully understand it. And and that, I think, is what's super hard about this age is that, mm. we, that we're, we're so fast. Yeah. And I think that the pandemic was meant to slow us down. I think that, that, that whatever this was is it was meant to slow us down. And yet we've come out of it blazing again. Right. And be, right. because the truth is, is that a lot of us and culturally, we ended up being hasty even in our homes. We mm. ended up being mm. hasty even about how we approached our work rather than taking a deep breath and doing it in an intentional capacity. Why? Because 40 years is a long time to wander in the desert. Right. 80 days is a long time to wander in quarantine. Right. Right? I mean, the exodus proves to us. Uh, granted, 80 days and 40 years is a lot different. Yeah. But it, it's meant to evoke and show us, how long are you willing to hang with me? How long are we willing to hang with Jesus before we have full understanding, before we actually see where he's leading us? How long are we going to stay before we get sick of it? And we're like, I'm done now. I'm or go over here. or how long are we going to hang out with the fact that we say I'm I'm scared that I'm done with this and I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep in contact with the one who made me hoping that there is somehow some sense going to be made out of this. You just articulated the the voice of the only two people that make it into the promised land, which are Joshua and Caleb, who come back with the rest of 12 other spies who spy out the promised land and they're like, no, there's no way. This is a death march. This is, this is absurd. There's no way God could have actually done this. And Joshua and Caleb say, it's too hard. It's too difficult. It's not understandable. But we also know who God is. Right. So we're going to hang with it. Yes. That is the response of the only two people who make it that you've just articulated. Hmm. So... If you're confused and if you're frustrated and if you're mad, maybe what God is asking us to do is just just hang with me and I will make it clear. Mm. Dig into me. Mm. That's the meme between the extreme. That's what it is. I, I know I need to ask you. <laughs> oh, oh, you guys, thanks for hanging with us. And, and um, uh, wow. Um, it's, it's, what's really cool, you guys, is that you get to be a part of really important conversations with, between Scott and I, like, mm. these are like Scott and I's conversations really matter and change our lives. Mm. And you guys are actually witness to, a, a essentially we talk about a bunch of things mm. and then we actually orient them with the podcast, <laughs> then we podcast uh, and we orient the, the real stuff of our lives within the narrative of God. And it's, it's actually, and every week, so, so you feel some import when we talk because the, the things that we're discussing really matter for both of us and, right. um, and which change is, our lives. Which is important for me to always remember and see in the podcast because it reminds me, okay, it's kind of my own gut check that like, okay, I'm, I'm not clocking in and clocking out. Like this is actually, which is why we can do a podcast on the same readings that we've done three times for seven years on. Yep. And the scriptures are ever new if you're not clocking in and clocking out. Right. You're actually allowing God to transform what you're seeing from week to week, year to year, day to day. Which is theology. That's it. God bless you. See you next week. That is unless the end of the world comes. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.